Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We are in our Five Crown series, and uh, last week we talked about the crown of life. And again, the more that I study, just even little by little, I am somewhat just personally leaning. I tell you that these ain't necessarily five distinct crowns as much as they are all maybe the same. And whether they're literal or figurative, hmm, I don't know. I'll see as I get my feet more wet because one just seems to run into the other. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says in verse 25, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So I want to talk to you tonight about the incorruptible, the incorruptible crown again last week was the crown of life uh, talking about enduring and staying and being faithful to the end to receive the crown of life and so again most of the time it isn't so much the concentrating on the crown itself but what it is that that uh, gives the reward of receiving the crown and so that's what we're going to give consideration to tonight concerning the incorruptible crown let's go to the lord right now father i love you today I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you loved us. God, you first loved us, the scripture says. And as a result of that, we're able to return love unto you. I pray, Lord, open our minds and our hearts. God, here in the next few moments, Lord, as we give, Lord, consideration, Lord, to the incorruptible crown. I pray, oh God, open our understanding tonight. Help us to lean in to what the word of the Lord would say. And we'll not fail to thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. So again, we're going to talk about, I want to talk to you about the incorruptible crown. However, if you think about about crowns in the way that Paul is going to talk about them right here, if you think of the crown as a trophy, I guess I could say that I want to talk to you about sports. That made some people lean in a little bit more. They were, I said some people. Paul using the term crown in his writings, and he does at least five or so different places or more here in the New Testament, was one way to underscore the importance of whatever the achievement may have been because granted was a crown. Not only is he underscoring then the importance of the achievement, but He's also underscoring, because of them aware of of these games that we're going to talk about, the Olympic Games, the Greek Games, that they would understand the amount of discipline that was necessary in order to receive such a crown. And so whether or not, again, this crown is uh, the incorruptible crown, is a literal crown, uh, the way that Paul handles the subject tells us that this is important. What we do leading up to the reward of this crown is important and that it takes a certain amount of self-discipline in order to acquire it. And even if it isn't a literal crown, evidently, according to Scripture, what we do receive, if it's not a literal crown, uh, it has an enduring or incorruptible quality about it. And so Paul here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number nine is very witty 
very witty and relaying a spiritual truth to us because he starts with something that is known to the people in the culture of his day, and that is they are familiar with the dynamics of what's involved in a race and the runners and their training and regimen that they have to go through. He's going to allude a little bit later. He's talking about he fights not as one but beateth the air, and so he's another sport that he's looking at that was in these games were boxing, and there were others. And so he's he knows that people are familiar with all the dynamics of, of boxing and, and running uh, within these Greek Olympic games, as it were. And so he starts with what they know to lead them perhaps to what they don't know. He, he starts with something that is natural to lead into, uh, you might term, the spiritual or the supernatural. And he's doing this in order to teach a lesson. So he's very witty in how he's doing this. Uh, and it's not odd for him to do this. His teacher did a lot of this. Jesus did a lot of this for the Apostle Paul. He taught uh, parabolically. He, he taught using parables, used stuff that people knew about, things that they were familiar with, to teach them a lesson about maybe something they were a little less familiar with. You know, you have the parable of, of the mustard seed. As a matter of fact, Jesus, a lot of the parables that he uses has to do with agriculture or farming or because they're an agrarian society. They had to do with agriculture. And so he talked to him about the parable of the mustard seed or the parable of the lost sheep. You know, people can identify with that. The, the parable of the sower, there it is, farming again, the, the, the barren fig tree, all these things going from what they knew to something that maybe they didn't know as much, a spiritual truth that he would impart into their spirit because they were familiar with these particular things. And so in Paul's day... <clears throat> Excuse me. In Paul's day, there were several different games, Olympic games, as it were, that were held in those times. Uh, there were the Greek Olympic games. There were the Pythian games. There were, I know, right? There were the Nemean games. There was the Isthmian games. They had all these different types of things that were just very much so similar uh, to what you and I would picture as the Olympics even today uh, during their time. And the Ithmian games were just held just a few miles north of the city of Corinth, uh, where Paul is preaching to or talking to the church here at Corinth. And so they were very familiar then with these games and these sporting events uh, that happened in their culture. And these games, as they even still yet do today, would draw crowds from all over the place. And the Corinthians were familiar with the different competitive events of boxing and running and, and uh, horseback riding and all the different things that they would have, just as much as people in our society would be familiar with basketball and baseball and soccer and whatever football don't want to leave that one out you know uh, but just as much as we're familiar with those things they were familiar with the games of their age and so they could relate to what Paul meant about running a race or the dynamics of running a race they understood the rules that were involved all right uh, they they understood simply the sport of running a race. And so from this passage, we come to understand that some of the aspects of a natural race or even a natural boxing match of Paul's day need to be mirrored in our own lives of running our race for the Lord. So he's making a comparison, something very natural, but then something very spiritual. And so there's some things that happen in a natural race that need to happen in our spiritual Christian race. And there were some things that happened in the natural race, some other portions of the race, that need to be contrasted in our spiritual journey. It may not be the exact same, but it needs to be the opposite of what it is in the natural. And Paul's going to tell us what some of these things are. For instance, we need to mirror the same determination and effort as a natural runner. All of the people Corinth knew that a natural runner must have determination and effort. In that race, they had to give everything that they had because Paul says that there was only one that was to be the winner. Only one would win the prize. According to my knowledge, uh, in his culture, there was no second or third place crown. There was only one crown that was awarded. They didn't have a second place crown for who came in second or third for who came in third. Uh, and I might even add to that, there were no participation awards. You either won or you lost. And it was required of them. This is something that they would have known. It was required of those that were involved in these races according to their rules. 
even for participation, they would have to have at least 10 months of rigorous training under their belt before being able to enter into or be considered for the race in these games. And yet even today, so we can, we, we understand some of this. Even today, there's people that go to, uh, you know, the Olympics uh, that have trained for eight or more years of their life as a full-time job. Except they don't get paid. They have to have another work to offset that. But as a full-time job, just to attempt to earn a spot in the Olympics as an individual or maybe in the Olympics as part of a team that goes to the Olympics a lot of their life. And so when you start to consider this of that day and even our day, consider all the practices and all the hours, all the personal training and uh, uh, that all these notable athletes that you know and that were in Paul's day that they had to go through in order to come to this moment of competition. You know, some people that are in boxing, they, they go through rigorous times of trying to drop you know, their weight down to a certain classification so they can box at a lighter weight class than what they would normally box in. And they're constantly putting themselves through the drills just with what? The hopes of, the hopes of getting the prize or, or winning the competition or winning the game. I did just a little research since uh, there was just the recent tragedy of Kobe Bryant. I just did a little research that he had a workout routine in his offseason that was known as the 666 program. He spent two hours running, two hours on basketball, and two hours weightlifting. Those two hours was one was one hour was cardio, the other was weightlifting for different regions of his body and also Olympic style type of weightlifting. He did this two hour, two hour, two hour regimen for a total of six hours a day, six times a week for six months out of the year. That's the six 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 program. When asked how many shots he took during the day, he answered that he made, he made, no, not took, he made 700 to 1,000 shots a day. So when he played on the court, he played with all. Of course, we know he scored at least at one time 81 points in one game, which is the second highest scoring game for point-wise for one individual in the NBA history. A lot of training, a lot of rigor. Imagine, think of that. Six hours of his day was set aside for the purpose of, of training. As a matter of fact, I read also one of the most grueling of all bicycle races is the Tour de France. As a French cycling contestant in that event, he described in a National Geographic article entitled An Annual Madness, he said the race covers about 2,000 miles. I'm just stopping right there including some of France's most difficult mountainous terrain. As a matter of fact, whenever they get done with that, uh, the winner wears a yellow jersey. They have different colored jerseys. There's one, I think it's white with polka dots, and it's about the person that just kind of like killed the mountainous terrain part uh, of the course. But nevertheless, so it's some mountainous terrain. Eating and drinking is done on the run while they're riding. Uh, there's, there are extremes of great heat and also cold during that time and this French cyclist said himself he said to train for the event he said that he would ride his bicycle 22,000 miles each year you heard me right some of you don't drive 22,000 miles within a year let alone ride your bike 22,000 miles in a year rigorous training why because when they hit that bicycle on that day they want to come forth as the winner. Paul says, they which run in a race, run all for to receive a prize. And then he talks to the church at Corinth that knows about running races and sports of running that day. He says then to them, so that you may obtain. So run that you may obtain. He says, if they're going to do this on a very natural level, to try and attempt and hope that one out of however many is competing will get a prize. He says, then you need to run. That you can obtain the prize. And here's the different folks. Only one person could be awarded the prize in that game. But for us, as many that are diligent enough. 
mic off. As many as are diligent enough and forthright enough and will put themselves in the race, so to speak, we all can obtain the prize. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. And so Paul says, run then this race with all. Amen. We got to run the spiritual race as one desiring to win the race. Amen. To obtain the prize. As they say in the sporting arena, according to what sport it is, we need to leave it all on the court. We need to leave it all on the field. Someone say amen. I, I read a little thing. I don't know if it was about a, a track runner or whatever, but his coach said, if you get 10 yards past the finish line and you still feel like you could go further, you haven't ran hard enough whenever it was time to race. What's he saying? He's saying you should have gave it all when it mattered to give all. And folks, it matters right now. This is not just 70 years appointed to man upon the earth. It matters right now. The effort that we put involved, that we involve ourselves every time we come to the house of God, every time we live our life outside of this assembly, we're running the race. Someone say amen. So there are some ports, though, some parts of the literal race that shouldn't be mirrored in the Christian race, in this journey, if you will, heavenward. But there are some parts of a literal race that need to be contrasted in our spiritual journey. And with that, I mean this. In Paul's world, one received the prize. But in God's kingdom, again, those who will run with all will receive the prize. In Paul's world, the prize was temporal. The prize was corruptible. But in God's kingdom, the prize is eternal. It is incorruptible. In Paul's world, they disciplined themselves with hopes of the prize. But in God's kingdom, again, we all can put ourselves through the drills, if you will, of the Christian life, and we will be guaranteed the prize. In Paul's world, runners compete with one another. But in God's kingdom, our major competitor is ourselves, our flesh. Along with what Paul said in Ephesians, we also combat against the world and the devil. We're not, it's not, it's not Paul McGee against James Malone. It's not Sheila McGee against Don McGee. No, no, no. The competition isn't between us. The competition is with ourselves, with the things that we deal with in our own flesh that make, cause us not to run with all, that may deter or sidetrack where our focus needs to be. He said to us in verse, in verse number uh, 25, I believe it is, he talks about then every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, men who want mastery in one respect, one venue, wanting mastery in running, or you want mastery in boxing or in one of these sports, if you, if you want mastery in one of those, those, then you must have self-control in all other respects. In other words, you got to hone in and let your focus be one and not distracted by various other things. you got to have one focus. The Living Bible Translation says it like this. It says, to win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. <laughs> I like that. Here's the thing. That does, not, that, does, that does not mean that does not mean everything you deny yourself is wrong. Just walk with me here for a minute. That does not mean everything that we would deny ourselves is wrong. What it simply means is this: that there are some things you lay aside because they are not beneficial to achieving the overall goal of winning the race. Amen. That's where. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 and 1, after the grand faith chapter, chapter 11, he says, wherefore, sin we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He's referring back to all those men and women of faith in chapter number 11. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the, here's the, 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 the metaphor again, this race thing, the race that is set 
before us. So again, just because you got to deny yourself of certain things in order to run with all, it doesn't mean those things are necessarily wrong like sin. It could be some of those things are just weights, meaning that they're just not beneficial for you reaching your goal. There's some things in life that are black and white, plain sin according to God's word. You don't, you don't need to be entangled in those. But there are other things for you personally that you might have to ignore in this life because it's not helping you run your race. It's hindering you running your race. And you can't judge what that is based upon somebody else. you got to judge that according to yourself. You know your tendencies. You know your weaknesses. You know who you are. You know what's going to be a stumbling block to you in the running of your race. And so if that's a weight to you in reaching and running with all, then you need to lay it aside. Amen. You need to lay it aside. Hallelujah. And so this is what the scripture was speaking to us because there are definitely some things that are sins and other things that are weights. So don't let a weight hinder your race because you would be better off. Here's the fact of the matter. You would be better off going forward without it than possibly jeopardizing the prize by having it. Brother McGee, there's nothing wrong with this. And there might not be. But for you, there might be if it's hindering you in your run. You cannot run with all and have these things that are weights to you. Paul's culture, people ran races and don't don't misinterpret the parallel here, okay? People ran races with the least amount of clothing on their bodies. <laughs> As a matter of fact, some were totally ran in the nude. And the only mindset behind this was is that they were trying, this, this was their method of freeing them of any hindrances. That seems extreme. But in the sense of not clothing for you in the Christian world, but things that would hinder you and keep you down from making spiritual advancement. In a spiritual sense, you need to run exposed before the Lord. <laughs> Nothing hidden. No secret areas with the caution tape that you can go everywhere but hear God. No, 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 no. You need to always be laid aside. Solomon in, in the Old Testament, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and, of course, Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. But he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life after he had went through a period of time of spiritual decline. Uh, and not only spiritual decline, but he, he in this really a backslidden state of his own life is in this constant searching for, uh, you know, all these things in the world He's looking for happiness. He's looking for uh, comfort. He's looking for all these things in the world aside from God, outside of being under the umbrella of God. And so Ecclesiastes, in many regards, if you read it, expresses the regret of Solomon of having left God and trying to seek out his own way and find happiness and, and peace, if you will, in things that could never bring him the happiness and the peace that he was looking for. And so he began to regret that. He even invested himself in some of the things that he did because in retrospect, he seen really he was just wasting his time. He could never invest enough and get the return that he was wanting. He, uh, all, all the idolatry that he found himself in, the carnality. So in reality, whenever we read Ecclesiastes, it's written really from the point of view of of a backslider, of someone that has backslid on God. And so Solomon wrote this book. He wrote it really for the purpose so that none of us, you know, learn from somebody else's mistake. You don't have to walk the same path as, as Solomon. You don't have to flirt with the same ideas, so on and so forth, because he's already pondered a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so it is the telling, really, Ecclesiastes is the telling of what happens when we complicate the Song of Solomon. Because the Song of Psalms is talking about a man's first love. 
So whenever we complicate that, the wooing, the, 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 the intimate, if you will, culmination of love that happens in the Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes is the reflection of life of what happens when you've left your first love. And so the story, when you, when, when you, when you look at the story, it is this. It's what happens to a man when he's kept the things that could keep him from doing his best. And this is what Solomon's attitude is in that backslidden state, Ecclesiastes 2.10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. That doesn't sound like being temperate in all things outside of the one thing that you're focusing on. He says, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Verse 11, then I looked on all. The works of my hands had wrought. So I said, whatever I desired, that's what I did. I didn't keep anything in my, my heart, wherever direction it went, that's what it did. He said, but when I look back on everything that I did, the work of my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I labored to do, and behold, all, this is his summation, was vanity and vexation of the spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He says, whenever I just caved into my own desires, my own will, my own heart, I did all those things, man. He had hanging gardens and all these different things that he made, which in of themselves, nothing wrong. But whenever you're trying to use that as a replacement for the Lord, then there's a shift. It's become a weight to hinder your race. And Solomon says, it's all just vanity and vexation of the spirit. Someone say amen. Self-control, temperate in all things. This is just a little humorous, but self-control. This is self-control. Self-control is the capacity to break a chocolate bar in four pieces with your bare hands and then eat just one of the pieces. For my daughter a few weeks ago, Mike brought her a whole bag of Twix. Within a few hours... Half the bag of Twix was already gone. And probably not more than 24 hours. The Twix were gone. That's not temperance. Temperance would have been to take one and gave the rest to her dad. I don't know. Did you share any with me? I might have taken one. I'm not sure, but. God love her. So, <laughs> Sister Brenda, I love you. You got that delayed effect, and it's just so natural. In a natural race, <laughs> in a natural race, People run with all to obtain. They run with all to obtain. To obtain what? To obtain a crown. To obtain a corruptible, as the scripture says in verse number 25, a corruptible crown. In other words, something that, a crown that in their day would eventually fade, perish. I mean, their crowns were made out of flowers, leaves, Twisted vines. So they're going to put in all this 10, 11 months of training with hopes of running a race and being the winner to get some dead twigs and flowers placed upon their head that started to deteriorate the moment they were plucked from the earth. I mean, in reality, be placed upon their head. But Paul's contrasting this. He said, but the race that we're in, it's not for the reward of some twig, flower, something that's died the moment. It's for something incorruptible, for something that is eternal, that lasts. Most crowns for the different games, I, I looked through it. Again, were made, made of vegetation. Uh, the Olympic Games, it was uh, wild olives that were, that were used. Not the olives themselves, but, but, but the twigs and the leaves and the flowers. Uh, of the Pythian Games, laurel leaves. The Nemean, parsley. <laughs> I get that every time I get a steak at a place. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, parsley, you know, around about their head. 
<laughs> garnished with parsley. Uh, and and what some of the other games, games were such as this. Uh, the Isthmian games, it was, it was pine. They, they used the interwining of, of pine vines and, 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 and such around them. Nevertheless, again, they all withered the moment that they're plucked from the earth, from their source. And so in reality, in, in the process of just a matter of days, they're going to be obsolete. The very thing that they sweat for, trained for, I mean, it could decompose and be given back to the earth. It's gone. Now let's think for a moment. Which, which adults among us, and all our kids are in the back except for a few real little ones. I'm not pointing at you, Melinda. I'm pointing that area. <laughs> She's starting to get a complex. How many adults here this evening has some type of trophy that you won maybe as a teenager or as a child or something tucked away maybe somewhere in the shed? Some people don't even know where they're at. In a storage container, out of sight. You know, when you search through your stuff, you see it again. Oh, you remember and you put it back and covered up and you go, right? Maybe you, you might even have a medal of gold or silver or bronze. I know my wife does have some of those from competitions of years gone by. And over time, you might know it's starting to look a little dull. Some of them might be tarnishing a little bit. Probably wasn't real gold, but, you know, <laughs> you know a little green scum on them, you know, so on and so forth. Starting to doll. Think with me for a moment. I'm just real world. I'm trying to put things in a context here for us tonight. Even notable awards in the real world. For instance, the, the Heisman Trophy. Supposed to be the, the high watermark for college football players. The Heisman Trophy. Even they lose their luster. If not literally, then figuratively. A Heisman Trophy. Highest football honor that a, a guy could have. It's 13 and a half inches tall. It's made predominantly out of bronze. It weighs about 45 pounds. And in a recent article I read today, here are some of the places those trophies are now from previous winners. Some of them, it's at my parents' house in a closet. One stated, has been for 10 years. Another one says, I kept it in the still case it came in. Don't even have it out. Don't display. Just kept it in the still case. The very first Heisman Trophy winner, this is where he said his was until they took it, came and got it, and put it on uh, display. I think it was in Chicago where the first one was from. He said, I used it as a doorstop. <laughs> Others have been auctioned off. Real rewards temporal though at best they lose their luster over time but one day bishop we will receive an incorruptible body that will enjoy according to scripture the glory and this is the word it uses not incorruptible of a uncorruptible god forever Hallelujah. And so, as a Christian, I run this race with all. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust Rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. I'm talking about something incorruptible, eternal, not temporal, not fading, not tarnishing. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, 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 I'm just, you might call me, we're talking about a city that the book of Revelation talks about 1,500 miles cubed. I don't think I'm going to show up one day and say, you know what? This has just kind of lost its pizzazz. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, 12 foundations from different stones. It's incorruptible. 
You remember, you remember the, the, the Tour de France I talked about in that French cyclist? The overall winner of the race of the Tour de France gets an equivalent to a little over $550,000. And a special winner's jersey. As I said, usually it's the yellow one, the overall winner. Now, if that's not motivation enough, the question was asked to this French cyclist, what is it then that motivates the contestants to ride a bicycle 2,000 miles through mountainous terrains and all the extremists they have to? The French cyclist summed it up this way. He says, why? To sweep through the Arc de Triomphe on the last day to be able to say you finished the Tour de France. Honey, if there's nothing else, if the crown isn't even a literal crown that I receive someday, just to be able to go underneath the arch of triumph and say that I finished it. Woo! Oh, yes. Just to say that on the last day that I came forth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. To finish it. <laughs> Therefore, Paul says in verse number 26, he says, I therefore so run. Therefore, Paul says then, I, I ran and I thought, he goes into the little boxing metaphor there, with purpose and with focus. As a result of everything he said here formally, an incorruptible crown. He says, I, I'm going to run and I'm going to fight with purpose and focus. As the New Living Bible says, it says it like this. Paul says, so I, ran, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I like that part. With purpose in every step. See, folks, we can't get purposeful in our run in the last mile because there may be several laps that are already ahead of us or several people that are already a few laps ahead of us. In other words, you can't get purposeful with your Christian run when death is near. Because no man knows when death is really going to come to their door. Or if it will provide them time before they're taken to start living a purposeful life. No, no. Every step. Every step must be per I, 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 oh, I just felt in my study today that I needed to emphasize this tonight. Amen. We're always sometimes trying to put off tomorrow what we need to do today. And I'm not talking about your housework and your laundry. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'll wait till I'm in my 40s. I'll wait till I'm retired. I'll wait. No, 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 no. You got to make every step in your Christian journey purposeful now, today. I don't know what may come tomorrow. I don't know if Paul McGee will be alive next week I gotta walk every step purposeful today I gotta run with all right now I know there's exceptions and we look at that one and say oh in their later years they really got on fire for God and they did and thank God for that but you might not have that opportunity you're not promised that Run with all now. Amen. Jerusalem Bible puts it like this. Paul was saying, that is how I run. Intent on winning. <laughs> In other words, he's saying, I run as one that's going to obtain the prize. I run as one that is striving for the mastery of my race. I run with a solitary focus. I run, amen, because nothing else to me matters except this one thing. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul says this then. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, which he counted as one. He says in verse 14, I press, or I say press, toward the mark for the prize. Of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul all the time using this run the race analogies and so on and so forth through his writing. So it's just one thing. Just one thing. And I'm pressing toward the mark. The, the stadiums of that day on the inside where the races were won, run. 606 and three quarters feet is what they were. As a matter of fact... You, you can look some stuff up and reason why stadia means like 600 and all this through scripture. But 606 and three quarters feet on the inside. There was a square pillar at the start. There was a square pillar at the end. 
of that 606 three-quarters feet. There were two pillars in between, like a third of the way and a third of the way. The third of the way was one pillar on it. They oftentimes had inscribed on the pillar the word excel. On the second pillar, they had the word hasten. See, this is a race. And sometimes on the last pillar in that long stretch of 606 feet, they'd have the word turn because many times their race just wasn't 606 and three quarters foot. It continued. And so they had to turn around that pillar and run towards the other pillar. But again, they would see excel and hasten and excel and hasten. And, and they were doing this back and forth, however many laps it was till their race was run. But the thing is this, when you're running 606 feet and you have a lane that you're supposed to stay in, it was if they could keep their eyes on the pillar. It kept them from wavering outside of their lane because they had a fixed mark that their eyes were concentrating on. They, could, they were more apt to run in a straight line as long as they had their eyes fixed on something. That's the reason why Paul says, I press toward the mark. He says, I see, I see the finish down way over there. He says, and that's what I'm running toward. That's what I, 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 and it's keeping me within the proper guides of where I need to be. Honey, if you'll keep the finish in mind from the beginning of the race, we'll, we'll do a whole lot better about not stepping over the boundaries or the lines and fouling up or fouling over if we... And they'll come encouragement along the race that says, go on and excel. Go on and hasten. We can run this race with all. Amen. You know how it is. You've heard the announcers in post-game talks, right? They discussed the teams that played. Uh-huh. Just a few weekends ago, uh, college basketball, Tennessee and Kentucky was playing and there was a conversation going on between my wife and Brother Mason through text that included me and Sister Mason. And my wife saying, oh, it's a game day and blah, 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 blah. And talking about who's going to win. Brother Mason said something about whoever wants it the most will win it. But there's always this post-talk after, after games. You hear such things like, well, they weren't in it to win it today. Which basically boils down to this. It means they weren't playing well enough or like they needed to in order to win. Might mean they were a little sloppy, a little half-hearted. Paul says, I run. I'm not running just to exercise my lungs. He said, I'm running to win it. Paul alludes to both, again, a race and boxing for comparison for our Christian lives. He says he doesn't fight, talking about the boxing analogy, he doesn't fight as one that beateth the air. Now, there were such things, and there still is today, such things as shadow boxing. People do that, and they're training and stuff. They don't have an opponent. They just have the air. And you know, whatever they're doing. But Paul's alluding to the fact that he hit his mark when he went to hit his mark. He, says, I he said, I make contact. I, doesn't I don't intend on missing my target. And so here's Paul. If you look at the, the, the verses prior to our scripture text, above verse 24, Paul has just spoken to us and the church at Corinth, namely, about some of the things that he has done in order to win or persuade men, humanity, uh, to follow Christ or start their race, so to speak. Talked about, I, come, I become all things to all men. To the Jew, I become like a Jew. To this one, I come like this. So that some might be saved. So about his persuasion of winning others, if you will, to start or join in the race. And so after he's convinced others to start their spiritual race, he follows up with our scripture passage telling us then how he runs his race. Because... He wanted to be seen as an individual that practiced what he advised others to practice. Lest he fall short, Sister Sheila, of the goal that's intended for them all himself. Living Bible says, like an athlete, verse number, verse number 26, or 27 rather, like an athlete, I punish my body, the Living Bible says, treating it roughly, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to. 
Oh, such a big learning curve in getting this humanity to do what it should, not what it wants or desires to. So Paul says, I kept, verse 27, I kept my body, I kept under my body and, and bring it into subjection. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I made my body my slave rather than becoming a slave to my body. A lot of times we live that in backwards. We become a slave to our mind, our thoughts, our desires. We, we come a, become a slave to it. What it says do, we do. Paul says, I'm reversing that. I'm going to make it a slave. I'm going to make it a slave, that it's going to be under the obedience, if you will, of another. But, folks, here's the fact of the matter, and we know this. This is only totally possible by the Spirit of the Lord that we receive in us through the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse number 16, and I'll, I'll try to hasten to the end, but in Galatians 5 and verse number 16, Paul says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Only truly accomplish this, by walking in the spirit and allowing, you know, to, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's the spirit in us to do his will that helps to accomplish his will. And so Paul preached is the word that's in our English Bible in verse 27. Paul preached to others and he didn't want to become a castaway himself. That word preached, he preached to others. That word preached literally means herald, and it does in a lot of many places of Scripture. But in the context of Paul talking about all this race running deal, the role and the job responsibility of a herald has some more defining characteristics than just if it wasn't in the context of running a race. A herald, whenever it came to the context of running a race, a herald would give the conditions of the game. A herald would display the prizes. It's the Vanna White of the running. It would display the prizes that were to be won for the champion. The herald would speak words to try to excite the contestants. The responsibility of the herald was to lay down and declare what the rules of the game were. So Paul says, I preached to others. I told them what the rules were. I excited them about running the race. I showed them what the prize is going to be. He said, but if I do all that and I don't abide by the same rule myself as a runner, Paul seen him in two rows as a herald and a runner. It's almost like a preacher. Preach people, you know, I talk to the sheep, but I'm still a sheep. Huh? He said, I, I, I can't lay all these things out and then me myself, I, I, I become a castaway. That as a runner, I don't, I don't uphold the same rules and, and have the same excitement. And so he sees himself as a runner. He says, I, I don't want to have had explained the rules of the race and not abide by the rules myself. In other words, Paul says, I don't want to disqualify myself by the very same regulations that I'm trying to qualify others with. Does that make sense? He says, so I'm going to run this race with all within the, same, within the same parameters that I've asked others to run. And here's the thing. The only way that you can avoid Paul becoming a castaway is that you got to run with all, with everything you have, in order to obtain the price. And so he picks this race. And I'm coming to a close. You understand with me. He picks this race analogy and this boxing analogy. He picks it all back up in the book of Timothy. And in the book of Timothy, Paul knows he's nigh death. He knows it's around the corner. He knows it's closing in upon him. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. And this is going to lead into us for next week. He says, I have fought a good fight. There's that boxing analogy again. I have finished my course. There's that racing. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me. Now look now, a crown of righteousness. So here's where I start to lean a little bit. Five crowns and maybe not necessarily being five distinct crowns. As much as there's this, this descriptions of maybe the very same. And whether it's literal or not, I really don't know. 
But he goes into this, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. So the incorruptible crown, the incorruptible crown, at the race that is ran well with all, with it being primarily the focus Amen. Next week, we'll talk about the crown of righteousness. When we pick back up, we talked about the crown of life, the incorruptible crown. Next week, the crown of righteousness. And if, I, if it's not enough, I'll throw another crown in there, you know, uh, to, to, to even things out. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight, if we can, in this service. Because, again, I come to you tonight with the urgency that I felt today in my spirit with people that want to delay that want to delay activity, delay, delay the, the energies in running the race with all because they always think there's another day or there's another tomorrow or there's time. Please hear the voice of this pastor tonight. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. Please hear the voice of this pastor tonight. We have no guarantee that death is going to alert us before it comes nigh our dwelling and our door. We got to run every step with purpose we got to run every step with purpose. We don't have time to be lackadaisical. We don't have time, if you will, to take the off days. we we got to be in that mode of training, in that mode of competing against our own desires and our own wills. Will you right now begin to talk to the Lord tonight? Father, I come to you this evening. God, help me, O Lord. God, a crown of life, a incorruptible crown, one that fadeth not away or tarnishes, O Lord Jesus, or is dismantled, not one that loses its luster. I pray, O God, I'm running with all. God, towards something, God, that is greater than what I could receive here on this earth below. Everything else will perish. Everything else will fade away. Everything else will lose its luster. God, it's only what we do for and in Christ will last. God, we will receive an incorruptible body. We will be available the uncorruptible glory of an uncorruptible God. I pray, oh Lord, someday help us, Jesus, today. Oh God, oh God, oh God, help us, Lord, to keep our focus. Lord, not to be distracted, God, by other things or that they would have, Lord, greater, Lord, footholds in our life. No, 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 God. Help us, Lord, to focus. Help us to press toward the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh God, to be temperate and self-controlled, Lord, in all all these other things. Oh, God, to lay aside sins, God, that we know of. And, Lord, weights, God, that are not beneficial to our personal run. God, and we perhaps are the only ones that really know what that is. God, to lay it aside because we got to make every step count. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.